This is the Canadian Tax Podcast, episode number 26, hosted by me, Cameron Ware. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. It is the week of November 30th, 2021. It is month end for a lot of my fellow tax practitioners out there. So good luck in meeting your deadlines. Uh, like usual, we'll start with the news. COVID-19 bill C2. Uh, first reading was done last week. Uh, the C2, if you don't know, this is another one of the, uh, the uh, support mandates out of Ottawa related to COVID stuff. Um, the reason this one's coming out, as best I can tell, is recently the uh, SUS and SIRS, the, uh, the wage subsidy and uh, uh, rental subsidies, those were phased out for businesses. Uh, but Ottawa still wants to help. Um, they're, what they're looking for is rather than general help to, you know, your your average business. At this point, they're saying, look, if you were really, really, really hard hit, you're, you know, I'm thinking of restaurants and gyms. But if you're if you're one of those guys, there are um, some extra support mechanisms. Uh, another one is they want to Ottawa wants to incentivize businesses for. Um, uh, hiring staff, bringing bringing people back to to work. So, with that in mind, uh, C two is uh, proposing to extend the Canadian Hiring Recovery Program. That's that uh, the wage subsidy. Uh, this has been extended to May of 2022. Uh, another one that uh, um, is looking to be uh, extended is the Canadian Worker Lockdown Benefit. This is. $300 a week for affected workers. Best I can tell, this is one of those ones where you think you're sick, you need to stay home until you get your uh, your COVID test sorted out and or quarantine, uh, that type of thing. So 300 bucks a week for affected people. Uh, I've got a link to Global News article on this as well as the actual uh, Parliament uh, C2 bill right here if you really want to get into the details. Uh, next item, uh, remote... Uh, remote work. Uh, PwC released an interesting report talking about uh, the, we'll say, issues with remote work in terms of tax complexity. And interesting stat to me, close to, well, I think, I think the number was 65%, but basically two-thirds of Canadian employers are open to uh, hiring remote workers across Canada. And uh, another third said they'd be open to hiring international employees if they had to, which uh, to pick on my own uh, profession as, as CPA firms, I mean, Big Four has been doing that for a long time. They, they go outsource a lot of uh, uh, stuff to their, we'll call it remote firms overseas and that kind of thing. But now I guess the opportunity is available for your average business to do the same, same thing. And I think there has been a big, uh, a big culture shift whether it's whether it's IT, uh, accounting firms, uh, law firms, whatever, uh, lots and lots of remote work being done these days, which is great. I think it's uh, it, it's good for it's good for workers. You're not stuck in traffic. You're not uh, stuck commuting on uh, 
transit, sitting on the train for an hour, one way, that kind of thing. So I think remote work is, is definitely attractive to uh, a lot of employees. We actually do uh, we, we're ahead of the curve. I like to say we've, we've always done uh, remote work we've, here. We've always said it's results-based. We don't care as long as you hit your deadlines. I don't care where you work, what you do. And none of that bothers me at all. It's just, you know, hit your deadlines. And interestingly enough, I'm hearing a lot more of that attitude, uh, out there in the workplace, which is nice to see. Uh, I, I do think that's that's kind of healthier for everybody. But uh, PwC is saying one of the issues here is tax reporting complexity is stalling a lot of the adoption of uh, remote work. That's that's where you're seeing a lot of hesitancy. Um, not surprised. I mean, there's there's, there's a bunch of rules on CRAs and whether or not, for example, you can qualify for home office deduction or not, uh, that kind of thing. Commission salesman versus not, things like that suggestion in the report was just either nix the t2200 form get rid of it um i wouldn't be surprised if we go in that direction i mean this recent tax season they just cra allowed an, an arbitrary uh two dollar a day to a maximum of four hundred dollars uh deduction for home office just flat rate is basically just to check the box election and i think i'm i always say i you know any uh any any chance to simplify things within reason is a good way to go. I mean, most of my job is navigating red tape and nonsensical rules, uh, one off here, one off there that you normally wouldn't think of. And it would be nice to simplify a lot of that. So if you can get rid of uh, a lot of the complexity for your average remote worker, that would be helpful. Uh, another suggestion here, just looking through my notes, they're saying align province of employment with province of resident as opposed to where the employer is located. And I think what they're getting at with that is if you are a remote worker in, say, British Columbia, but you're doing work for an Ontario firm, your T4 is uh, based on Ontario tax rates and withholdings and all that good stuff. Even though the employee is going to be filing their taxes as a BC resident, and when they do that, of course, the tax rates and things like that are all going to change as far as the employee is concerned. So a way to maybe harmonize province of employment as it relates to T4 with uh, the taxpayer's province of residence, maybe not, uh, not a bad idea. Uh, so we've got a link to an advisor.ca link um, below and or uh, excuse me, an advisor.ca article. They did a pretty good job of, uh, of reviewing the PwC stuff. Uh, next item, tax and cryptocurrencies. So CRA has their uh, digital currency slash cryptocurrency guide. And one thing that, you know, the main thing that they're covering here is is they're trying to figure out, you know, for, for the taxpayer, if you're moving crypto around, is it business income? Is it capital gains? Uh, CRA generally treats uh, cryptocurrencies as commodities and not a uh, well currency. In other words, uh, um, business income slash um, we'll say currency gain or, or loss, almost like a foreign exchange gain or loss. Um, additionally, CRA helpful points here. They said uh, when cryptocurrencies are used to pay for goods, it's considered a barter transaction. I think I've dealt with barter transactions in a previous podcast, but if anyone's interested, just send me a send me an email and i can get into uh the the nuances here if if needed 
Um, there at the moment there isn't any, um, we'll say formal treatment of cryptocurrencies in in terms of CRA's approach. It's <laughs> it says we say it's an evolving situation and or it depends. So generally, uh, tax treatment is going to depend on uh, on the client's behavior and. If you're going to hold something for a long period of time, uh, you're not day trading it. it arguably, it can be treated as uh, as capital gains. You're you're looking for income on a on account of capital. Um, uh, contrast that with if you're day trading, you're buying and selling, doing a lot of that stuff. Um, you're going to be looking at more uh, um, business income. And same with if you're a uh, we'll see a business that that accepts payment in uh, in cryptocurrency. And we've seen this with a few clients, actually. And, and generally what it comes down to is no different than if you, uh, if you receive U.S. dollars or, uh, or euros for payment. You're going to see some foreign exchange gain or, or loss there, which generally, in, in, uh, as it relates to inventory, you're looking at, uh, at business uh, income there and not necessarily capital gains. So we've got a link to, uh, to CRA's guide here in the show notes. You can check that out if you want. Uh, and then lastly, for the news this week, looks like the Liberals, we talked about this uh, a bit last week, but this week, um, Liberals in Ottawa have uh, have said they're going to go ahead with the uh, digital services tax, aka the Netflix tax. Uh, num- looking at numbers here, t- potentially this tax can bring in about $3.5 billion over five years. Um but there, there is an issue here. Uh, I think it was a few, a few months ago when uh, the OECD passed their, and we talked about this on the, on the podcast too, but OECD passed their minimum tax agreement, quote unquote. Uh, there's a more formal name for it, but it's basically the minimum 15% tax on everybody that's in that uh, economic group. And the, the thought here, especially from the U.S., is... Look, we've all agreed to the uh, this uh, well, not f- well. I, no, I guess I guess they have formally agreed to it, but it's not in uh, in practice yet. It's not being applied. Uh, but U.S. is saying, look, you guys are already agreed to this fifteen percent minimum tax. Our companies are going to pay it. Why do you need to move, do this uh, digital service tax? So, with the USMCA uh, NAFTA two agreement, there's uh, there is some conflict there. Nothing's being settled at the moment, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens here. One interesting thing that jumped out to me: uh, Canada says they're not going to phase in the OECD minimum tax until approximately 2024. But when they do, it will be retroactive to 2022. Um, why does it matter? Well, a bunch of back taxes that'll be owed by these big digital giants, and in the interim. Digital services tax has the go-ahead from Ottawa, so it looks like that is how um, Ottawa wants to uh, wants to deal with with this. So I've got a link to National Post article covering this. So that concludes the news for today and interesting goings on and such. I'll move on to listener questions. Uh, question one. I'm a self-employed doctor based out of Ontario. I work at a local hospital and a local clinic, but occasionally I travel to British Columbia, usually monthly, and uh, do a um, and work at the hospital there. 
can I deduct the College of Physicians and Surgeons uh, BC membership dues, even though I live in Ontario? Uh, okay, that actually, this is a nice, simple uh, question. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't matter that you reside in Ontario. Uh, if you are earning income based out of BC, you can uh, 100% deduct those uh, those uh, medical or uh, excuse me professional fees professional dues. Uh, really, the, well, to to expand on that a bit, the, the CRA's rule is if the expense is incurred in order to earn income, uh, you can deduct it. So it's very obvious to say um, or or. Uh, it, it should be obvious that if you're paying BC medical dues, um, and me, well, and that's maybe another thing that, that I should cover here too. Um, if you're a, let's say you're, you're, you're a doctor, uh, professional corp, or maybe proprietorship, whatever, uh, that is not regulated at the federal level. It's, it's regulated at the provincial level. So each province has their own medical college. And uh, as such, if you practice in multiple provinces, you have to pay the respective provinces' um, medical college dues. So I, I think that's what uh, what listeners ask or getting at here is he's saying, look, I, he or she, I've already paid uh, medical dues in Ontario. Can I also claim uh, medical dues paid in BC? And yes, you absolutely can. It's you're you're paying it in order to practice in in BC. So no issues with uh, with you claiming that. Um, pro tip: if there's any other expenses you're incurring in order to get out to VC, uh, you can likely deduct uh, deduct those within reason. Um, that one gets a little bit more complicated and nuanced, but we can deal with that uh, maybe with a follow up or something like that. Uh, next question: uh, If you have a non-capital loss. Can you only use it in years where there is taxable income that generates income tax to pay? I'm confused on how to use it. Um, okay, non-capital loss. That's generally a business loss. If you're running a, a business enterprise, you take some losses. Uh, that's where those guys come from, as opposed to uh, no, uh, capital loss, excuse me, which is similar to what we were talking about earlier, cryptocurrencies, uh, that kind of thing. If you're... Uh, uh, you know, you, you buy a stock, you hold it for a while, you take a loss on it, and that's capital loss. Business loss, very different. The nice thing, and nice isn't the right word to use, but uh, the nice thing about business losses is they're applicable against all types of income, whereas capital losses can only be used against capital gains generally. So with that in mind, um, you have two options when it comes to uh, non-capital losses. Uh, you can either carry them back to three years prior or you carry forward for 20 years. So what that means is, let's say in the current year you have a, a non-capital loss, a business loss, but in the previous year you made a whole bunch of money. What you can do is apply the current year's loss against last year's uh, income and essentially recover well, assuming that the the loss wipes out uh, the the previous year's um, taxable income, if if that's the case, and we're going to assume that's the case because it makes for an easy example, assuming that the current year loss wipes out last year's um, net income, uh, you're able to retroactively apply the current year loss 
and recover all of your taxes paid in the previous year is how that works. Now, let's say that um, it's been losses for the last little while. There, there isn't uh, any um, any income earned in the in the previous few years. You're able to bank those non-capital losses and apply them in a future year. So even if it takes five years for you to, uh, we'll say, make make some money and pay some taxes on it. Um, again, good news, quote unquote, good. Uh, but you're able to take those losses that you've uh, that you've been hit with over the past five years, and you can apply it in uh, in in the year that you make make some income, and you can continue to to apply those losses until your non-capital loss pool is used up. Typically, with uh, with my clients, that's going to be uh, cor- corporate stuff, and you'll want to reference the Schedule Four for for that type of thing. Uh, last question here. Uh, I'm refinancing a rental property and I need to add my spouse on title and the bank is doing this for me. Does this trigger any capital gains? Is the first spouse deemed to have disposed of half of their ownership? Is the new spouse required to report half of the rental income? Uh, Would there be deemed disposed? Okay, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, you've you've got a scenario where taxpayer one owns 100% of a house and uh, taxpayer one is going to refinance the uh, the mortgage on that property and the bank is saying whoa 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 you need to have uh, you need to have your spouse on on that so what is uh, whether or not this triggers capital gains uh, no these types of transfers are done under uh, typically subsection 73.1, which assumes that all transfers between uh, spouses are deemed to, uh, to be done at cost. But there is a bit of a trap here, is even though the transfer itself of, we'll say, 50% of the property, uh, even though that has taken place and it's not a deemed disposition that triggers tax for uh, spouse one or taxpayer one, uh, down the road, any uh, sale of the property is deemed to, uh, it, buzzword is attribution, is uh, the, the income, it's not split 50-50 between uh, spouses on the disposition of the property. Uh, 100% of the proceeds or 100% of the, uh, the, the income from the property is deemed to have gone to spouse one who uh, owned the the property prior to the the transfer of fifty percent over to his or her spouse. So that yeah, basically that's the gist of it. Uh, no no issues tax wise in the uh, at the immediate present, but you need to pay attention to when the property is sold because there is some attribution that will uh, kick in. So that'll wrap things up for today. If you have any questions, send them over to me at uh, Canadian, or excuse me, questions at CanadianTaxPodcast.ca, or you can always reach us over on Twitter. Uh, This is Canadian Tax Podcast. Thanks for listening. This commentary is for general informational purposes only and deals with complicated and time-sensitive info that may not apply to your situation. Tax rules are always changing, and this information may not be current. Tax is complicated. This information is not tax advice. Don't rely on this info to make tax decisions. Hire a professional to help you. For more info, see canadiantaxpodcast.ca slash disclaimer.